Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Resilience. It's kind of a buzzword these days when it comes to business and when it comes to our lives. You know, we're told to be resilient, bounce back from setbacks. We also hear about the need to have resilient organizations, particularly with everything happening right now. But what does it really mean? What does it mean if your organization asks you to be resilient? Does it mean they're being unapologetic about doing whatever they do to you and just telling you to deal with whatever blows you take? There's a lot more to it. And for organizations who actually want to have resilient workers, they probably need to plan around that for their own benefit. Well, I guess today has spent a lot of time studying what it means to be resilient in a business sense. Her name is Danielle King, and she's an assistant professor of psychological sciences at Rice University that's in Houston. She thinks that leaders need to understand a few things about resilience, and they need to create a culture that encourages it in the right way. I had a really interesting discussion with Danielle. Please stay tuned to hear it. What do leaders need to understand about resilience? And when they understand it, how do they create a culture where their employees manage to have that quality and thrive? To talk about that, I'm joined today by Danielle King. She's Assistant Professor of Psychological Sciences at Rice University in Houston. Danielle, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me here. You know, I always like to start by asking people how they ended up doing what they're doing, because this is an interesting topic. How did you end up studying this? Um, it's definitely me search. It's stuff that, you know, um, growing up in New Orleans, surviving natural disasters, um, having two entrepreneurial parents, seeing their struggles and triumphs, um, helped me understand that for some people, resilience looks different than for others. And there's a lot of resources and support needed to make it possible. And so I've always been really curious about, you know, what helps some people overcome? What helps some people, you know, burn out and other people grow and learn? It's like a muscle that develops. So I've really been fascinated by resilience for a long time. And so organizational psychology gave me a place to really focus on, you know, leaders and orgs and employee experiences of resilience. That's really interesting because I've read some of the things that happened after Hurricane Katrina and how some groups managed to come back better than others and they're you know well set up for it. And I guess, yeah, you can apply that to organizations. So when we talk about organizations, companies, schools, whatever, how do we define resilience? So so there is an agreement. Um, There isn't one accepted definition. But when I talk about resilience, I like to focus on things that are under an individual's control. So I like to focus on continued psychological and behavioral effort that we invest towards our goals, despite encountering something that is really challenging and hard for us. Now, you know, you mentioned the things that New Orleans went through or he went through. Why does it matter now, particularly in the world we have, which has so many challenges? Yeah, I think I think we're just seeing how um, inevitable adversity is. Right. And there's a lot of recent examples of collective shared adversity. Right. So it's like we're all facing the same storm in a lot of different ways in terms of these disasters, the pandemic, the financial crises, the wars, all of these things that are happening. Um, However, simultaneously, we're getting to see that despite being in the same storm, everyone's boat doesn't look the same, right? So everyone's experience with that storm is not the same and everyone 
doesn't have the same set of resources at their disposal to face that storm. And so I think it's unfortunate, of course, that we're all having to be quite so resilient so often, um, but it gives us a nice space to think about how can we support resilience? How can we make resilience possible? Well, there's so many strands to this. I mean, we could talk about students or younger people or older people, but now let's talk about workers because, you know, it's work podcasts, obviously, but there's so much there. When you look at organizations, do you think they really have this as an agenda item? Do they think, okay, we have to help our workers be more resilient? Um, I think the first part of your question, is it an agenda item? Yes. I think that a lot of companies are interested and they want people to be resilient. I think they see the value in it and they make it a part of their mission statement. There are lots of trainings and interventions. But the second part of your question is the do they think their role is to help make it possible? No, I think that's part of, you know, our recent writings and that HBR is saying Leaders should not only want it and select for it and, you know, assess it, but really know that they do hold some weight. And, you know, whether they're fostering it, whether they're creating a space where resilience is really possible or if it's really hard for people to be resilient because of um, decisions in the organization or behaviors from leadership. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've talked to a lot of people about the pandemic and how they've helped or tried to help their workers get through this. I think a lot of managers are sincere about this. I'm just not sure that there's kind of an organization-wide program in a lot of cases to help people. You know, do you see this as blaming workers when they can't step up or, or what do you see? I think you're right. I think there's a lot of sincerity, but I think there's just limited guidance. So you can want to help, but not really know how. And so that is my hope is that we'll have a lot more research um, not only talking about individual strategies and what people need to do, but we need a lot more research that helps leaders know what can they do, you know, what can they offer, what what can they sincerely um, contribute to the resilience process. Well, I know you've written about how leaders tend to think that it's a personality trait, right? That you maybe hire people who are going to be resilient. Do you agree with that? I don't. I don't think that it is something you're born with or you have or you don't have. I think it is a skill. I think that resources, um, the fact that resources lead to different trajectories shows that it's not just a trait that people have or they don't have. Because if you take the same person and put them in, you know, at different times, they may be resilient in some cases when they have adequate support and they may not be able to be resilient in other cases when they don't have adequate support. So I think that there's some um, things that can be stable across people, maybe their perspectives on adversity or their general learned approach. But I do think those things are malleable and I do think that they can be trained and they can be um, enhanced for sure. Well, let's talk about this in terms of the pandemic, which is our most recent example or one of them. If you want to help your workers, what do you do in terms of creating a culture around this? Yeah, that is uh, that's one of our big questions right now. Right. Um, I think that every organization is different. So I don't really think there's like a one size fits all like this is how you create the culture. I think that organizations have to look at, you know, what are their employees facing? So if I were looking at a hospital, maybe how they have to, you know, what they have to manage to be resilient is different than schools right right now. And so I think taking um, into consideration, like what are the challenges that your employees are facing? Is it role overload where they just have too many tasks? Is it role ambiguity where now we're not even familiar? Like, what are we doing if we were 
you know, a business like um, some of these performing arts institutions, right? Right. During the pandemic, they had to completely close. Mm -hmm. That's different than a hospital where there was an uptick of business and need and demand. And so I think that um, what what I would advise organizations and leaders to do is to really take a step back and listen to their employees and, you know, find out, you know, what are people managing and then let that guide the strategies implemented to help people to be resilient. Well, it's interesting you say listen to them. I mean, in some cases, people don't speak up. How do you Mm -hmm. even encourage them to do that? Yeah. So I I also study employee voice. I think it's such a fascinating, um, cost effective Mm -hmm. topic, right? Just if people, like you said, if people are willing to speak up, but understandably, voice is risky. You know, employees um, could face and have faced in the past retaliation, you know, loss of opportunities because they speak up and they suggest, you know, changes that maybe leadership doesn't like um, or maybe offended by if it goes against their perspective. So I think if we want people to speak up, we have to create safety. We have to create a culture and a climate based on our actions and how we respond to people speaking up that shows you're not going to be you know, retaliated against. You're not going to be demoted. You're not going to be passed over for opportunities if you share ideas and suggestions. Um, so one piece of it is safety. Another really important piece is voice efficacy. So making sure that people know it's even worthwhile to speak up because what happens a lot of times is, you know, there'll be a suggestion box or there'll be, you know, a meeting where they're like any ideas and people will speak up and then nothing happens. There's no response. It's like, okay, business as usual. So then people are kind of like, you know, then what's the point? So you don't want people to feel like, what's the point? And you don't want people to feel scared to speak up. So I think creating a culture that, you know, emphasizes in the way you respond to voice behavior, that it's safe and it is going to make a difference here. You know, you mentioned the suggestion box. Uh, that's kind of, I don't know, I would say it's a retro idea, but I don't know that we see that that often anymore. Uh, do you have examples of what people are doing effectively to hear from workers, you know, is it online surveys or is it meetings with managers? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So today the suggestion box looks like our annual surveys or our twice a year surveys or in meetings, right? You know, a lot of leaders um, talk about an open door policy of anytime you have a, a suggestion or idea, come and talk to me, come and tell me. It doesn't have to be in that once a year, twice a year survey. Um, and so even if you say I have an open door policy, you still have to make sure that people know it is safe and it is efficacious to walk into that door and to talk to that leader. Now, obviously, we are seeing a lot of people quit their jobs right now. Uh, we're seeing a lot of people who are burned out and stressed. Do you see examples of any companies, even without mentioning their names or with mentioning their names, who are not dealing with this because they've, you know, maybe a hospital has a better plan and there are some practices others can learn from? Yeah, I think um, there's definitely variance in in industries, specifically occupations we've seen that are hit hardest by what people have termed the great resignation and others that aren't experiencing it quite as much. And I think part of it is, is what we're talking about is, are there systems in place to listen to employees' needs, to make adjustments based on their needs? Like when teachers are saying, you know, there's this pay concern, there's this safety concern in hospitals, you know, are we really taking steps to support people so that they can be resilient so they don't feel like their only choice to survive is to leave that environment? 
if you're, if you're, if you're a manager managing a staff where some of them are remote and you don't always know what they need and some of them are stressed doing this, you know, you've changed so many things over two years, right? It's not the same structure we had two years ago. Uh, and people are, you know, dealing with a lot of things. How do you, how do you help that person? The person who's not the CEO of the organization, but who's trying to help their individual team. Yeah, I think there's actually a lot more um, suggestions for those people than the CEOs who may not have direct everyday contact with most of the employees. So I think leaders of uh, middle management and within organization team leaders have a lot more influence on like the day to day experience of the workforce and what people are seeing, what they're um you know, how they're being supported. And so I think one of the important dimensions that we see that supports voice and also resilience is what we call leader member exchange. So developing a high quality relationship with your direct supervisor can help you know that it is safe here to speak up. And if I need some specific type of support to help me to be resilient, I can go to that person, I can share it, and I will likely get it because we have mutual respect, mutual liking, and a healthy relationship. So I think that relationship building piece um, and just remembering that people are humans, right? So that humanity piece of connecting, building those relationships is what I think all leaders could do that would really help. Interesting, because I had somebody to tell me that she eventually felt she had to lead with vulnerability and tell people how she was struggling, right? Because our old style management really isn't that. It's kind of, you know, take charge, top down. Are we in a different era here? Absolutely. And I love it. I, I see it all the time. I think that especially because um, of these collective adversities. Leaders are dealing with the pandemic as well. Leaders are dealing with the financial you know, crisis as well. So I think sharing their struggles, what they need, what's helpful for them, that vulnerability could absolutely open those roadways and those doors for their subordinates to then feel comfortable versus, like you said, this older school mentality of I'm a machine, everything has to be fine, go to the point of burnout. I think we're seeing less of that. And I think that in the long term is, is healthier. You know, I want to come back to the Hurricane Katrina part of it, because I think there are lessons for organizations there. Just talk a little bit about that in terms of recovery and resilience. What worked? Um, during Katrina? Yeah. And after Katrina, because this is not something you just hit <laughs> New Orleans once. I mean, there was, you know, oh, yeah. for a long time, right? Absolutely. Look, while well, I was in high school, so you're asking me to uh, go back mentally. But I would say that across and, you know, even Harvey here where I am in Houston, I think that um some of the things that were, were really helpful were community. And so one of the things that I saw here that felt a little bit different is this um, Houston strong motto of, you know, neighbors really coming together and giving each other resources, you know, helping to rebuild one another's home. So I think that's, it gets back to your question about like, what can direct supervisors do? And even what can coworkers do? I think that that community support that, even just being able to talk together about those struggles, even if you don't have resources to give someone, not knowing that we're not alone in those struggles and sharing that vulnerability and connection, I think psychologically is really, really helpful in those times of, of trauma and severe change. Well, let's hope we don't have too much trauma, but uh, hopefully, you know, organizations do change around this. Danielle, thank you so much for talking to me today. Absolutely, it was a pleasure. Danielle King is Assistant Professor of Psychological Studies at Rice University. Well, that's it for today. If you did like this discussion and you want to know more about Danielle and her work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. 
If you did enjoy the show and you like to hear about the different things going on around the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll really help people to find us. And please subscribe to this podcast. We want to keep these discussions going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. <laughs>